Hello and welcome to the download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. And wow, it's got to be a really happy new year. We've got Eric Lascelles, Chief Economist at RBC Global Asset Management, hardest working economist in Canada. Did, did you take any time off though over the holidays, Eric? Yeah, I wasn't the hardest working economist over the holidays. Two weeks off. I'm, I'm just back at it. I think I know what's going on. We'll soon find out though, Dave. What, what are your questions oh. here? <laughs> well, I know you know what's going on because uh, my, my present to you I was very kind to share with you a copy of the Fed's, uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve's uh, minutes from December, uh, which has uh, created quite a stir in the markets this week. Uh, what was in that those Fed minutes that has really um, made the market nervous or or been viewed as as a change in the Fed's position and a, and a and a and a different tone than what we've seen coming from them uh, for for much of the last few years. Right. Well, they were hawkish. I guess that's maybe the, the, the okay. one word answer. Now, you, you could say many central banks have been pretty hawkish ever since late last summer. So it's not a, a it wasn't a brand new pivot of any sort, but it was just more hawkish than the prior round of comments yeah, yeah. They, they'd given. And so we had already known as of, I suppose, mid-December, the last Fed official meeting that uh, th three rate hikes was their default uh, and is their default plan for 2022. And the market more or less has that priced in. I guess the extra bit was just, you know, there was a feeling of urgency by the Fed in terms of the actual discussion itself. Now, we'll let the record show that still only yielded three rate hikes as the plan. So it's not as though suddenly it's five instead of three. But nevertheless, there was a feeling of, of urgency behind that. And, uh, and and simultaneously, some talk about quantitative tightening. And so we've talked okay. a lot about quantitative easing, which was the buying of bonds. And we've talked more recently about tapering, which was buying fewer bonds. And that's still the phase that they're in. They're still set to be tapering through to the spring of, of I guess I can say this year now, the spring of 2022. Um, but they're talking a little bit about, and you know, what do we do after that? Do we start shrinking the balance sheet then? And so I, I, you know, tongues are now wagging that conceivably over the second half of this year, the Fed might be starting to shrink what is a, a $9 trillion balance sheet. So that would mean selling bonds. And so a bit of extra upward pressure on yields. And so I guess long story short, I get a hawkish Fed, and, and that's you know mapped its way onto markets and onto economic thinking in a few ways. Of course, more rate hiking tends to mean a little bit less economic growth. And let the record show we've been below consensus for a bit. So I think we're, we're pretty well positioned for that. I don't say that with yes. too much glee, but it's, it, we, we've been on the right side of things, I, I think, in any event. Um, you know, we've seen that you know, the tech stocks in particular have been choppy and even down to some extent. And so there's a linkage there to the extent that you know tech companies, you're really betting on the future. And so future earnings are heavily influenced by the discount rate that you apply to them. How much do we care about earnings five or 10 years from now? And as interest rates go up, you apply a bigger discount rate and you you, you care less and you, you get less uh, effectively out of the future earnings. And so that's been kind of a mathematical hit to the tech sector in general. I would emphasize that as much as there's sort of a general qualitative thought that, you know, rate hikes bad, uh, etc. It's not quite so simple as that. I mean, what you really want is central banks not making making policy mistakes. And it's certainly easy to envision when things are bad, we want rate cuts, and that's good. Um, but you know, when things are pretty good, and I would say things are pretty good economically right now, rate hikes aren't the worst thing. We're trying to prevent the economy from overheating, which is a non-trivial concern in a world of sub 4% unemployment and you know, more than 6% inflation. And so, you know, to my eye, rate hikes are the appropriate action. And so I can understand how you, you do need to adjust some valuations and things given what we just talked about in a, a discount rate context. But, but equally, 
equally, uh, you know, we don't want them making an, an error of being too stimulative and allowing the economy to overheat and spill into recession in a year or two. So we're trying to avoid that. And so I, I'm pretty at peace with what the Fed is up to and what other central banks are up to. But I'll, I'll admit, nevertheless, they are in motion for the first time in a while. And that does create some, some choppiness, at least. Yeah, and I, I think we've got to have some historical perspective here as well. We're talking about going from zero to something. Uh, when, we're, when we're talking about the Fed funds rate and we're talking about a, a 10-year treasury that's, uh, you know, at, a, at, at 177 basis points, 1.77% uh, when, uh, you know, for, for those of us who grew up in the, uh, in the 70s and early 80s, that would have been unfathomable uh, at, at that point in time. Uh, just, just one question, though, out of, out of what came out of those Fed minutes uh, from, from a forecasting perspective, I, I, again, from a, from a you know, technical economist, uh, the, the, the idea, you, you'd be very familiar with different rate tightening cycles uh, historically, but the Federal Reserve's never had a $9 billion balance sheet before. Uh, and, and unwinding that, do, 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 you, do you have a good feel for how you think that plays out in the market? Or does that create some additional uncertainty since this is something we really haven't seen happen before in markets going from a $9 billion balance sheet to a $4 or $5 trillion, billion dollar balance sheet? Trillion. Sorry, trillion. <laughs> trillion. Yes, yes, yes. I, I should, uh, it, 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 again, uh, once again, unfathomable. Trillion, yes. Yeah, no, w w perfect question. And so, well, you know, we do have some precedent for this. So keep in mind, we had a lot of stimulus delivered during and after the global financial crisis. And like some fraction of that was unwound. We did eventually see rate hikes. We had, we had a little taper tantrum in there, which is something, you know, we've been thinking about as well <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a risk. And maybe we're getting a, a sliver of that, though I don't see why we have to get much more. And ultimately, anyone who participated in the earlier taper tantrums were, were not rewarded in the sense that they reversed fairly quickly. So I wouldn't suggest that should be a key theme by any means. But you know, the Fed did eventually get around to shrinking its balance sheet. And it didn't take it all the way back to where it had been that time, simply because other things were happening, banks were deleveraging and so on. It was a world where you just needed a bigger monetary base to get a normal amount of money into the economy. And so, uh, but some parallels there, we, we did see the, the balance sheet actually actually rolling off. So this is not totally uncharted terrain. You're right, we didn't have a $9 trillion balance sheet. I think it might've been five or something or four and a half, I think maybe was the peak yeah. last go round, but um, it, it, it should be fairly similar. I think you know, the thinking is it, it's a multi-year process. You know, when you start that, uh, that quantitative tightening, perhaps in the second half of this year, it's, it's you know two, three, four years of of, uh, of unwinding that takes place. And of course, the the entire goal of the Fed is to do these things in a way that doesn't damage the economy, that allows a pretty smooth trajectory. And so, uh, you know, it, it does have relevance. Our fixed income teams are hard at work sorting out just what part of the curve might be might be tackled yeah. first, and whether the bonds mature naturally versus be actively sold. And you know, there there is some talk about how. Uh, you know, the Fed might suffer a, a loss in some of these things, depending on just how long it holds some of them, which I don't think is all that relevant to them, to be honest, that they're not a you know, profit maximizing operation. Um, but, but nevertheless, a, lo a lot of considerations like that. But I think the key is it's going to be pretty slow going. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, 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 they're not in a rush to get back to where they were, I don't think. Okay, so, so that lays, lays sort of the backdrop and, and, and what we heard from the Fed this week which brings us to today and the main reason why we, we set this time aside each month. Uh, jobs reports in Canada and the U.S. come out this morning. Anything in those results that would change the view of a central banker dramatically from what we've just talked about? 
I mean, probably not dramatically. I would say, I mean, we've talked the Fed and the U.S. so far, so why don't we start there? And so the U.S. job creation numbers for December weren't quite as high as what had been hoped. So the the, the consensus forecast was 450,000. There was a big uh, ADP survey number a few days ago, and you know, jobless claims are low. So the thinking was there could be a big heroic December number. It ended up being just like pretty good. It was 199,000 jobs that were created, which is you know more than enough to absorb population growth and uh, still consistent with the recovery. And, and indeed, consistent with that, the unemployment rate fell again. It went from 4.2 to, to 3.9. We're into the three handles again, which is quite good. So it does speak to a pretty strong labor market, as does uh, a high quits rate and high job openings, all the things that we're familiar with before still broadly stand. I, th- I think the thesis that the Fed can still continue at this enthusiastic uh, you know, tightening clip, I guess continue is not quite the word. They haven't really started, but nevertheless, they can still proceed, I suppose, in 2022. In part, it is just, hey, the unemployment rate is now sub 4%. So here we are in a world of sub 4% unemployment, greater than 6% inflation. Like, why are you sitting there with a 0.125% Fed funds rate? So I think that, that basic argument still applies, even if maybe job creation wasn't quite what was expected. And then the other one is that earnings growth and wage growth still pretty hot. We're still talking about in the realm of 5%, which you could equally say is negative 1% real wage growth. So maybe people aren't getting quite as rich as they think they are with those wage gains. But, but still, that's pretty fast wage growth and likely sticks around for a bit to my eye for the year ahead. So I, I think the Fed is still broadly on, um, but you know, at the margin, I guess it's, it's a tiny bit less pressure than before. Um, you know, to, to me, the, the, the other development of relevance is you know the Fed, when it made its decision in mid-December, wasn't putting too much weight on the Omicron variant, which of course has taken over the world pretty, pretty thoroughly over the sub subsequent uh, several weeks. And so that that's of some relevance. I guess the debate there is, if, if the South African experience is any guide, conceivably it could peak in a few weeks and conceivably could be fading from there. And you're left with a pretty palpable hole in the January data. Like, let's brace ourselves for some not so good economic data in January. In some places like Canada, uh, it, it's really a function of, uh, of, of lockdowns and things, which we've seen yep. you know, pr- pretty thoroughly. Uh, in places like the UK, they've done some, but not a lot. In the US, they haven't really locked down much at all. So there's quite a, a variation. But I, I still think a lot of countries are going to look fairly similar because people people voluntarily behave more cautiously as well. So Americans can go to restaurants, but they're just not to the same extent as before. And so yeah. you, you get not quite the same outcome, but a similar one. And then maybe the most relevant one, and this wasn't really a factor in prior waves because just we didn't see as startlingly high rates of infection, more than a million a day in some cases in the US and Canada. I mean, none of these numbers are fully believable now that we've run out of tests and people are being told not to get tested. So the numbers are higher than we think uh, and certainly setting records. Um, but you know, just the number of people who are actually sick and off work. I mean, you, you get stats yeah. out of uh, you know Southern California ports and, and out of uh, you know, airlines and, and certainly hospital workers and things where you've got and, and, and ambulance workers. I think a third of New York City ambulance workers are out sick right now. But of course, they're dealing with COVID each and every day. It wouldn't be the same for, uh, for bankers as an example. But Nevertheless, you know, a non-trivial fraction of the workforce is going to be out for a couple of weeks or isolating or taking care of, of someone. And it, it, it's ultimately a manageable thing. But we should we should brace ourselves for some not so great economic data in January. I, I personally think probably a, a bigger hit than we saw over the prior few waves to be recovered quickly thereafter. But nevertheless, so let, let's be aware of that. And uh, again, I suspect central banks will look through that and take a multi-year view. But that that to me is the more relevant uh 
twist than, than the U.S. job numbers uh, today. I should mention briefly, Dave, uh, at the risk of, 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 uh, of, of trying your patience here, just the Canadian numbers, actually pretty good. So uh, 55,000 new jobs in Canada, that was twice what was expected. Uh, and so wow. you know, I would say you know, good news there. Um, unemployment also I, I passing a milestone of sorts in the U.S. It went under four. In Canada, it's just gone under six. So we've gone from six to 5.9. And that's pretty good. Canada normally runs an unemployment rate about twice as high as the U.S. So I would say we're roughly on par with them. And this would also qualify as being like pretty tight, pretty close to, to pre-pandemic type, type levels. And I was delighted to see, you may recall, it's hard to remember with Omicron and the holidays and other things getting in the way. But of course, BC flooding was quite a thing in late November. Yeah. Yes. And, and into early December. And it's taken some time to get the infrastructure going, and some still isn't going, uh, but they're making good progress. Uh, it was happy news within that Canadian employment report that, that BC employment uh, was flat in December. That's kind of a win when you think about those challenges that existed there. Uh, and so really the theme there has been the economic damage hasn't been quite as big as initially feared. Uh, you know, for instance, we thought maybe at one point November GDP for Canada would be negative. Nope, Stats Canada is reporting tentatively. They think there was at least a modest gain for that month. So that that damage not quite as big as as feared, which is a, a I guess a nice thing as well. And then of course with the twist that of course all of this is dated. A lot of the hiring in both places were service sector and you know combination food services, and we're probably going to lose some of that in January, and then hopefully get that back you know through the spring. But nevertheless, uh, these job numbers are maybe a bit more stale than usual, just given all that's happened since then. Yeah, and and uh, I I think it is an important point, and and you did make it earlier, just in terms that you you've been fairly cautious on your view of growth in in the U.S. and Canada uh, for quite some time, uh, and 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 that's proven to be quite quite a prudent view because you've had all these little hiccups along the way. I, I shouldn't say that some of there 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 are major things that are affecting our lives and people's lives, so hiccups was probably the the wrong way to position it, but but things are happening. Uh, that, that 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 just tap the brakes here and there and and keep growth uh, a little bit below what uh, uh, what other forecasters have expected. So uh, so so you 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 uh, I'm sure you're very happy with uh, with, uh, with 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 where you've come in from a from a forecasting standpoint. Right. Of course, you're always like yes, more growth than less from from an economics perspective. As but, an investor but, and so on, I'd be more than happy for wonderful numbers as far as the eye can see. But yes, yeah, that's right. We've been getting the forecast right so far. And, and you know, keep in mind that rate hiking we're talking about is a bit of a drag on growth. And uh, there are a few other factors to consider on that front as well. Still a recovery, just a more muted recovery, we think, yeah. for 2022. Yeah. One, one of the really interesting things, though, is, as you do bring up uh, Omicron, is the, uh, is, is, the imp- is, is the way markets have seemed to view it, which is to almost just look right past it. Uh, and, and again, hopefully that uh, that means that we do repeat the South African experience and other parts of the world with it, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that we have had, uh, you know, millions of new cases. If I if I get right. my uh, illions right this time. It seems like billions or trillions, but it's uh, yeah. but it's millions or, or hundreds of thousands. And it's uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's really quite something to watch.
Right. Yeah, we certainly established is much more contagious than anything that's come before. But equally, it does look to be significantly less deadly or damaging. You can debate just how much less. I mean, you see wonderful stats from South Africa where the hospitalization rate per case was, you know, four times lower than before. And then, the you know, the, 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 the intensive care and the ventilator and so on usage was maybe four or five times less per hospitalized person. So you're multiplying those those good news uh, items together. Uh, now, you can say that, well, more people are vaccinated than they were in prior waves. And, and for that matter, more people have natural immunity than prior waves by virtue of those prior waves. And so some of the math says, well, it's less dangerous. Maybe it's only 50 percent less likely to send you to a hospital for someone who's you know, unvaccinated or in the same position as prior waves. And so that you know, it still needs to be treated with caution. It was something much more contagious, somewhat less deadly. And so, you know, that combination is still presenting quite a challenge for many hospitals and so on. But uh, e- equally, if South Africa proves to be a precedent, you can conceivably look past that over the next month or two. And markets have been pretty darn good at looking past COVID type issues. Uh, sometimes when I'm briefing our portfolio managers, I, I kind of feel badly of sort of wasting their time with all this COVID talk at the beginning, because it seems to rarely impact uh, markets all that directly. But but still, it, it is relevant from an economic standpoint. And uh, it, you know, it's important to get a sense for whether you know, the next wave or the wave after that, to heaven forbid, uh, m- might be different in some way. And so it's, I think, still important to watch, but it hasn't been a big driver of markets. It's completely fair to say that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the bottom line on that is it is not going away, and uh, and may never go away. But the way markets react to it is uh, is is adjusting uh, is adjusting over time. Well, Eric, that was uh, that was just a fantastic update. We got into uh, we got into a ton there. Uh, clearly, I, I think you were uh, I think you were reading and keeping up to date on things over your vacation. So you still get that hardest working economist moniker. Uh, you've uh, you've earned it again. I just want to thank you uh, always for. Uh, for doing this each month to uh, to give everyone an update on uh, on 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 these important job reports and then subsequently how that affects uh, policy uh, that is clearly having an impact on markets. So thank you very much again. Thank you and happy new year to everybody. Bye. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.